Revolvers and Katanas, Session 2, Count and Countess Snarok. Following the incident with the Lightning Grail, the heroes have been enjoying the hospitality of the Count and Countess's estate in the five districts area of the frontier settlement of Last Hope. Count Snarek tells them how he wanted to fight in the Great War, but was prevented from doing so by the influence of his father. As you can see, I was uh, prevented from doing my rightful duty while others fought and died for what they believe in. He pauses and sort of looks a bit downcast, takes a a little sip from his goblet, and he says, So, once the fighting was done, I decided that I was going to try and make my own way. I purchased this small house, and as he gestures around at this big, like, grand villa you're in, which is about as far from the heart of the empire as you can get. And while my lovely wife, and he tips his goblet at his wife, who's sat in the seat opposite him, and we moved here. And, well, what an eventful trip it was, as you... As you well know, if I should have to think what would have happened to myself and to my dear lady wife if we hadn't been lucky enough to run into you gentlemen. Expressing his belief that no doubt the incident with the train was caused by malcontents from the war. The Countess looks a little sad when her husband says this and reminds him that they don't know who was truly responsible. He says, so uh, tell me my friend, sir, how have you been finding your stay in the, uh, the Snarek estate and... Uh, what plans do you have for the future? Are you planning on settling in Last Hope, or...? I don't know, like, get money, like, do jobs, that sort of thing. Get sort of settled, as they were indicating, yeah? Yeah. So, Good a place as any, at the moment. Yes, and uh, with vintages like these, I'll raise the, the crystal. Like, it's quite fine. Do you... Is there a vineyard? Do we do we grow it locally? <laughs> he says, "Ah, he says, oh, no, uh, alas, uh, I'm afraid these are imported." He sort of swirls the glass around, and holds up the light, and looks at it. He says, uh, "Cost me a, a small fortune to have it bought in." Uh, there are, there is talk from some of the locals about uh, attempting to clear some of the, the the forest land to the east of Last Hope, and perhaps use it to to grow whatsoever crops they decide to grow but uh, I, I believe it's a, a sort of far future prospect uh, most most people from what I've heard the uh, the researcher my investigators did before we came here is that uh, most people are simply trying to get by or find a new start here Nash seems quite taken with the idea of setting up a vineyard and making wine and Wolfram asks the Count if there is land to be claimed He's told that the land is increasingly wild to the east, but it's available for those who can hold it. At that point, their conversation is interrupted by the head butler Bouchard, who informs the Count that the Sheriff of a Last Hope has arrived. The Sheriff, who introduces himself as Kaelmund, is shown in. He has a strange mechanical eye that seems to glow green, and he says that he's simply come to check that the Snarrocks are alright following their recent ordeal and tells them that there have been rumours of scavengers searching the explosion site near the train tracks. He advises them to have their security be extra vigilant. We have heard rumours that there are several bands of scavengers wandering the track, no doubt seeking to find 
whatever remnants of the the device that caused the explosion are currently lying in that area obviously we know there is there is good money in things like that and, uh, well some people are desperate enough to go scavenging around in giant craters near the side of train tracks nothing that uh, any sort of right-minded person would do and i'm sure they probably won't get as far up as a uh, five houses and bother you here but uh I would just advise you. The sheriff politely refuses an offer of a drink since he has work to do and takes his leave. Over the last couple of days, Kaldor has been using his magic to keep an ear out for any concerning information and has picked up a bit of general chit-chat about the household. He knows that Count Snarik is seen as something of an oddball amongst his family, wanting to fight in the Great War, and he wants to seek the means to pursue his own destiny. He also knows that the Countess has a small private room that she goes to a couple of times a day, ostensibly to pray for lost family and comrades who died during the war. However, Caldor knows that unknown to her husband, she performs some minor acts of magic and scrying in the room, and he's taken the opportunity to slide a small stone under the door of the private room with the intent to use it as a focus for scrying on her. He'll be sort of thinking about that himself to get some sort of appropriate little stone or something and maybe put it on the windowsill uh, or maybe even just under the door the countess excuses herself from the room saying that she is going to pray in her small private chamber after she leaves a few moments pass and then caldor likewise makes an excuse to leave planning to scry on the countess and uh after a minute or two i shall look like try and excuse myself to just go to the bathroom or something yeah not just so i can sort of listen in or sort of have a little spy see what's going on you work your elemental magic and via the small stone that you slid under the door you see lady snarak open the door she heads in she takes out from inside her blouse a small key on a chain that's around her neck locks the door she walks over to what appears to be a small stone font, like the kind you might find in a church, like a baptismal font, I suppose you might call it. You know, a sort of column, bowl, water on top, etc. She leans over the bowl, taking each side of it in her hands, and she starts mumbling some, shall we say, strange syllables under her breath. It's quite difficult to pick up what she's saying because it's very sort of quiet and muttered as though she really wants to keep it down low so no one else will hear but from the odd sort of snatches and sort of whispers that you do manage to pick up you can tell that she's basically intoning sort of arcane syllables for the purpose of casting a spell and then she she peers very intently into the water obviously you can't see what she's seeing in the water because your stone's at ground level but she peers very intently towards she's like looking as though she's looking for something into the water her brow furrows a little bit as though in concentration you see a few sort of like little beads of sweat on her forehead and she says well they've 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 got to be around here somewhere right uh, i i know they have i can i can feel it and then she she carries on peering for a few minutes and then she seems to get like frustrated for eventually just sort of like slapping the surface of the water with one of her, her hands and she sort of like, steps away sort of huffing in frustration 
and then she seems to like gather herself together a little bit and he says no I'll I'll try again tomorrow I will track them down eventually it's and then she's she sort of like puts her hand on her chest as though she's like touching where her heart would be and he says uh, I owe that to you at least I, I will find them soon and then she walks away from the pool so gets herself together a little bit and, you know takes the key out unlocks the door opens the door and leaves back in the main ballroom the count retires for the evening allowing the heroes the run of his estate in their discussion, Wolfram suggests that they head out tomorrow and try and claim some land. They could also check with the sheriff if there are any outstanding bounties. Balthazar says he's fully on board with Nash's idea to make some wine, and he has some experience having studied at the Belliard Abbey prior to the war. Caldor says that getting the sheriff on their side might be a wise thing going forwards, and he's slightly concerned that by just claiming land, they may offend some of the existing townsfolk. They retire for the evening, waking up in the morning and joining the Snarrocks for breakfast. Outside, in the distance, they can hear the dim sound of raised voices. After asking what the noise is, Lord Snarrock is told by his head butler. I believe that's uh, the, the, the Rumbolds and the Meerwolds, sir. He says, uh, the Lord looks a bit sort of puzzled. He says, uh, they, they're your neighbours, sir. Your lordship, well, two of them anyway, two of the, two of the other family inhabitants of uh, the the five houses districts, and I'm afraid, uh, going back years, there's been some considerable blood blood between their their two families. Uh, I couldn't say what uh, what started it or what prolongs the uh, the the conflict, my lord. It's not my my business to interfere in the the, the business of my betters, but. Uh, so suffice to say that uh, whenever any of them come into each other's orbit, at the very least, there are harsh words explained. Your Lordship, would you like me to go and close the doors? And the Lord Snarrock says, yes, yes, I'd like to have a little bit of peace while we're, uh, while we're enjoying our breakfast. So go ahead, Bichard. With the noise dimmed by the closed doors, Wolfren asks Count Snarrock about the rules governing homesteading in the area. Um... Lord uh, Starrock, um I have a question to ask and, and a favour. Um, oh, please, go ahead, uh, my good sergeant. Um, do you know if anyone is homesteading out in the forests and what the, the laws are with regards to claiming land in that place? He says, uh, well, I'm I'm not sure myself. And he, he turns to Lady Starrock and he says, uh, my dear, you had um, more correspondence with the people we had look into the area before we decided to move here. Uh, did you hear anything uh, about what our friends are asking? Lady Snarrett brushes back a, a, a lock of golden hair out of her face and says uh, well uh, I have I have heard that there are some few people who prefer their solitude who make their homes in the forest just to the east of here um, from what local legend says though the the land becomes, well, as the investigators put it, uh, unpredictable, and there are there are strange creatures in the forest, and apparently it only gets more wild the the further east one goes. So I believe most people tend to stay within a day or two's range of the the settlement, from what I hear. Apparently, there have been parties of people who have attempted to forge out into the 
the deeper forests and the mountains to the east, but uh, from what I understand, very few of them have returned. Um, could you write us a letter of introduction to the sheriff to um, ask him to assist us? Oh, why? Uh, yes, of course, sir. Says uh, Lord Snark, if you if you think it'll do you any good, and he he, he calls um Bachard back in, asks for some writing implements, and he he writes out a letter of introduction, folds it up, puts it in an envelope, does the old wax seal bit with his like, signet ring, and uh, holds it out, and he says, uh, "There you go, Sergeant." Uh, Thank you very much. Not at all. Very grateful for your uh, consideration. Not at all, Sergeant Washburn. It's the uh, it's the least we can do. Uh, the Count then asks the heroes for a favour, explaining that his wife is planning on heading into town personally within the next hour or so, and that given recent events he's a little bit concerned for her safety. He asks whether the heroes would deign to accompany her into the town, and they agree. So an hour later, they set off into town. As they travel, they come across a scene of commotion, and they see two nobles squaring off against each other, surrounded by a crowd. Well, I don't have to take that from you. We all know where you mere wolves got your money from in the first place, and it was shook the other guy in the chest, and that takes a few steps backwards. And he says, Why, you rumbles are hardly wants to talk. We all know what your family got up to during the war. And then they literally start getting into like a bit of a scuffle. They start sort of like lashing. They're obviously not practice combatants, but they start sort of getting into a bit of a tussle with each other and sort of tussling back. I'll go and separate them, John. Okay, you do manage to separate them because they're not prior. However, you take one point of hit point of damage as you get as they're randomly flailing around. You like get cuffed on the side of the face as you're sort of pulling them apart. Yeah, I I didn't expect to get out of that. I get hit by something. Yeah. Yeah, but you 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 forcefully separate them in in the sort of like scrappy do style. You're like holding them at arm's length, but they're still trying to like flail at each other and they're sort of they're making these very like thinly veiled threats at each other and basically cussing each other's family lineage into the bargain you see as you've sort of separated them like a few of the the more sort of normally dressed people who you basically gather that like quite a few people in the old district have been like oh two nobles like beating each other up are we going to stand around and watch that a few of them obviously sort of like drift away as they're like oh it's all over and they sort of start like drifting back to their own business. There's a few still lingering about me. Using the force of his personality, Nash persuades the two nobles to go their separate ways, and grudgingly they leave the area, heading off in opposite directions. At the prompting of Caldor, the Countess asks a local person where the sheriff's office is located, and they're given directions. As they get there, Nash waits outside, watching the town go by, and letting his companions with more conversational skills deal with the matter. Inside, a young man with short cropped red hair, who identifies himself as Deputy Tofan, tells them that the sheriff is away in the Five Houses district. He recognises the heroes, though, from their actions saving the lightning rail. He tells them that the sheriff has been behaving quite strangely recently, and asks if the heroes would consider looking into it for him. He tells them that an old temple to the northeast of the town has been occupied by bandits who are robbing people in merchant trains, but the sheriff seems to be going out of his way not to investigate it and sweep the whole thing under the carpet. 
Wolfram says that they will investigate and ask about bounties for local outlaws. The deputy tells them they'll be happily compensated for bringing in any outlaws, and they'll also throw in a little bit extra if they can get to the bottom of what is wrong with the sheriff. He tells them that the bandits haven't killed anyone yet. They seem content to rob local merchant trains. Despite the sheriff not wanting to look into it, the deputy has done a bit of investigative work on the side and tells them that the bandits have occupied a ruined cliffside temple to the northeast. The deputy is worried that perhaps the criminals have something they're holding over the sheriff to ensure his non-interference. So, not to go too deep into it, but if they were to have powerful friends, as you say, who would that be hereabouts? Well, I suppose, I don't like to think of it, but I suppose it's not beyond reason that they could, they could perhaps have the ear of one of the the noble houses i'm i'm trying to keep that idea strictly to myself i mean the i'm sure you've worked out there's a there's a big disparity between five houses and the old district most people are sort of fairly fairly poor working class people in the old district uh, a little better off in westwood but uh, as long as the well the, the the mayor would would tell you this, but uh, as long as the the nobles keep their their noses clean, so to speak, they do bring a lot of money and spend a lot of money in Last Hope. But um, I think if word got out that they they had anything to do with criminals that were robbing people, well, think things might get ugly very quickly. And that that's the last thing I want. Something to keep an eye out for then. Again, not to go deep into it, but like if that were to be the case, I presume, and I look to um, Wolfram, um, I presume we'd uh, uh, pick up any evidence as to that and uh, bring it up with you. Yeah. So it's not too light the keg on fire immediately by shouting about it in the streets. Would that be correct? The the deputy looks thoughtful and he says, well, regardless of their social standing, if, they, if they're in league with these criminals, they should be brought to justice. But as you say, I'd rather we deal with it quietly and with the minimal of fuss. We need to let people know that if you break the law, in last hope be you a, a pauper or a rich person you all get the same brand of justice but we need to do it quietly so we don't cause any flare-up of the the tensions that are already in the town wolfran asks the deputy about the rules for claiming land in the local area and he's told that if you can build a homestead on the land, keep it clear, and it's uncontested for 24 hours, then the claim can be recognised. However, official claims must be registered with the Mayor of Last Hope, and if no one contests it for the space of a week, then legally the claim becomes recognised. Leaving, promising to look into the matter of the Sheriff, the heroes escort the Countess back to her estate when her business is concluded in town. On the way there, Caldor sees the sheriff riding out of town on his horse in an easterly direction and points us out to his companion. A short time later, they head to the ruined cliffside temple, but get a bit lost in the unfamiliar landscape on the way, and it is dark by the time they arrive. 
Wolfram looks out for signs of the sheriff in the area. He doesn't see any, but looking into the distance to the east, he sees the signs of smoke rising from a campfire over the hills in the distance. Meanwhile, Nash picks up signs that someone has been up the path to the temple for recently. For, um, Wolfram sneaks up to the mountain path and can hear two sentries on guard complaining about the mountain winds and the cold temperature. So I guess I will wait to 30 minutes for the change of shift and see if what if I can get out, learn anything different from the next two. Um, I guess I'm really trying to listen out for how many there might be. Okay, so after 30 to 40 minutes, another couple of guys come out to the entrance to the ruins, and they're like, one of them's like, Yeah, go on, you can get back inside now, we'll take over from here. And they, the original two, head off back inside, at which point the, the two new guards sat down, they start talking. And one of them says, oh, I noticed you don't see the boss out here being on watch. Uh, too, too busy entertaining his, uh, his esteemed guest, he says with a bit of a sneer. At which point the second man says, well, you don't want to let him hear you talk about like You know what they say about his uh, guest. Look, let's just keep our heads down until till he's uh, gone and then we can get back to, get back to business. He says, well, yeah. I suppose at least we ain't going to worry about the law now, have we? And they're both sort of like chuckled to themselves. He says, no, that's true. I'll, I'll say one thing for the boss's guest. He's, uh, he's dealt with that right and proper. Wolfram sneaks back to the rest of the group and tells them what he has heard. After a little bit of debate, Caldor casts a spell of concealment on Balthazar and Wolfram so they can sneak inside the temple. Making their way through the twin stone columns of the temple, they pass a couple of guards throwing some spoils in a room. However, you can both see, as they're sort of moving about a bit, what appeared to be two figures sort of stood at the end of the corridor, dressed very similarly to the guards you saw outside. You hear one of them be like, look, just put it down there, and he points, he points in that direction. He's like, hey, just chuck it in there with all the rest of the stuff. Once the boss has finished his meeting, we'll sort it out later. We'll divvy it up then. Yeah, yeah, all, all right. You hear a voice from around the corner say, and then you hear like the chink of metal, like something's just been thrown. What should I do with this thing? You hear the voice from around the corner say. Oh, I don't know. Like the, we'll leave it for the boss to sort out. Just chuck it in the pile with the rest. Yeah, yeah, all right. Then you hear the sound of some house being thrown down. And then they sort of stood there having a bit of a, a bit of a general conversation. Nothing. And is there enough space for us to walk past them? It. You see, there's like sort of pr fairly primitive, like torches and lanterns hung on the walls here, which cast a sort of flickering light. You think it's going to be a bit of a squeeze, like you might have to make some sort of stealth roll to get past them. So say you aren't invisible, and there is light here. But you think if you do that, you could probably squeeze past them. There's enough room. Okay. It's just whether you can do it without being noticed. And obviously, you okay. would get a bonus for the fact that you're transparent on your stealth rule. And is there any kind of um, stone or pebble or... 
Oh yeah, there's loads of stones. I mean, the whole place is chiselled out of rock. There's bits of pebble and stone lying around everywhere. Um, so I want to kind of come over here and I guess the one who um, pick up like a stone or a pebble yep. and throw it in this general direction and try and make a bit of noise to distract them so that we can slip past. Wolfram sneaks past the guards into a room piled high with the spoils of their previous misdeeds. Looking around, he spots a silver half face mask, which appears to be on the top of the pile, perhaps the most recent acquisition mentioned by the two men, and he slides it beneath the folds of his robe. Sneaking back, Wolfram and Balthazar follow the sound of voices through the strange stone temple. They find a chamber with the almost destroyed remnants of a statue inside. There are a number of bandits in there, relaxing, chatting, eating, polishing weapons, and drinking great tankards of hooch from an open wooden barrel. Uh, how far into the room is the barrel that they're drinking from? It's against. It's pushed up against the statue, so it's like pretty much dead in the centre. Okay, and, and, and is there easy... You see, Sorry, they, you see, they've basically got some, like wooden mugs and like pewter, like tankards, away. and every now and again, someone wants up to this barrel and like <laughs> scoops out like a mug full of this iron and then like carries on chatting as they like settle back down. Okay, and is there easy access to it from where I am? You would have to make it's pretty much surrounded by all these like vagabonds who are like loafing around, so you would have to make your way past them. You couldn't just sort of like reach in and okay. Um, so I would like to try and reach past them and to put two doses of um, a knockout poison into the barrel. Uh, yeah, no so problem. 13. You sort of slide between them and no doubt aided by the fact they're all slightly inebriated. They don't appear to notice you. You find yourself sort of stood next to this barrel, which you can now definitely tell has like a strong ale in it. Everyone's like chatting and like talking. No one's really like paying it any mind. You have a few moments where you sort of hold your breath and you sort of crouch down behind the barrel as someone walks up and like sloshes another flagging out of it, but they don't notice you. And you're just gonna dude. Your poison in there, is that correct? Yeah. The poison takes quick effect, and a short time later, the bandits begin to fall unconscious, happening so quickly that they're unable to raise the alarm. Moving through the temple, they see a man in robes wearing a cloth mask concealing his face, who appears to be staring into a mirror. He says the phrase, Only the wise may rule. And a brief mist appears over the face of the mirror. In it, another shadowed figure appears, asking for a report. The hooded figure tells them that their agents are robbing the merchant trains as planned and that the local sheriff has been neutralised. The shadowy figure accepts the report and disappears from the mirror. The hooded man sits down and begins to read from a small notebook. Wolfram is able uh, to peer around and look at the pages the of the like, notebook, but whatever the man's writing seems to be in code. After a few short moments, the cloaked figure gets up and leaves the room, eventually going down a small stone staircase to a lower level. After a short discussion, Balthazar relieves the sleeping bandits of their weapons. So I'll, uh, John, I'm not going through every body, yeah. but I'll just pick out like the ones that I can just easily grab, like in seconds and just like put them 
I don't know, in the corner here. Yeah. You managed <laughs> to grab like a variety of like short swords and various like crude blades and just stash them in the corner. That's not a problem. Yeah, just put them a little bit away so that the, when they come to, if they do, uh, it'll be a fist for them uh, immediately. So, Okay. Walking down the staircase, Wolfren sees the cloaked figure arguing with one of the thugs. It is revealed that the hooded figure, or rather his employers, are paying the bandits well for their services. He mentions that the Brotherhood have invested some effort and resources in the bandit group and cautions them that they better keep up their end of the deal. The cloaked figure congratulates the bandits on retrieving the mask that they were seeking. The hooded figure says he is taking his leave and that the bandits should be ready to act when called upon. At this point, Wolfren springs from the shadows, stabbing the hooded figure with a dagger. Although Nist negates the spell of concealment over himself and Balthazar, the hooded figure falls to the ground dead. Startled, the bandit leader lashes out at Wolfren, nicking him with his short sword. Hearing the noise, Balthazar runs down the stairs, leaping over the body of the fallen hooded figure and felling the bandit leader with a flurry of blows. Both he and Wolfren then slay a number of bandits running towards them, drawn by the sound of the alarm being raised. With the conscious bandits slain, the heroes tie up the unconscious bandits, waking them up and leaving them outside, having emptied their treasure room. Wolfren has taken the featureless cloth mask that the hooded figure was wearing. It has a diamond etched on the inside. In addition, he hands the recovered half-faced silver mask to Kaldor, who examines it and realizes that it is magical in nature? Over to you guys. Um, you seem to uh, you seem to be quite successful in there. Yeah, we had a good time. Hmm. The um, the enchantment was instrumental in our success, I would say, uh, at the very least. Uh, um, brilliant work. And here's that interesting cloth mask. Um, Sorry, John, I presume we picked up your man's notebook and whatever else he had on him. Yeah. Um, I'll have lifted his gear as well as a potential costume in the future. Yep, you, you've taken his robe and this like featureless cloth mask. As you look at the cloth mask, you can see, it's like I say, it's made out of thin leather. On the inside of it, you can see sort of where, roughly where the forehead would be. Someone has like carved or I suppose like etched what appears to be a small symbol of like a diamond on the inside of the mask. It would roughly okay. see sort of where your forehead is. And that's the, the mask that the Brotherhood wanted or the mask that the Brotherhood guy was wearing? The mask that the guy was wearing. Okay. And the mask that he that they wanted, that's a similar mask or... No, no it's, a, it's a half face mask and like I say it appears to be made out of much thicker leather but it has like a silvery coloration to it okay I'll just put that on my sheet as well because that may be um, I'll ask Caldor to have a look at the boat masks to see if they're magical or something okay. mystical so, uh, yeah, what have I got? Um, you could make a magic roll. Well, I've got a s skill for it as well, I think. Didn't I find one? I think, yeah, magic skill in general kind of talks about that. Let's read that. Oh, yeah, it was only that I had uh, some sort of talent or something. Oh, yeah, 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 because you're, you're an actual wizard. Uh, I'm, I'm just a death puncher. I can't. 
bloody find it now. Oh, here it is. Uh, is it here? What was this? Something about your hero interferes with easy use of magic. This focus cannot be taken by mages or partial mages. Oh no, it's just you can feel the presence or use of magic within 20 feet of you. So would I be able to work out if it was magic? Okay, I'm going to say yes with your with your senses. You can sense there is indeed a magical aura about this half-faced silver mask. Yeah, but I'd have to have something. Uh, and then could I potentially use the magic trait to actually work out what it was? Yeah, make a magic roll. Okay, you believe this mask is what's known as a, a calyx. It's a effectively, in layman's terms, it's a suspended magical effect trapped in an object that can be triggered by someone in possession of an object. So effectively, it's the equivalent of like a spell scroll, but, but it's an object. In order to determine precisely what spell was bound into it, you would have to spend more time examining it but you're pretty certain there is some sort of magical energy bound up inside this mask. The heroes begin the long journey back to Last Hope. During their travels, Kaldor is able to examine the mask in greater detail and believes it to be something known as a calyx, a one-use item, and this one, he believes, allows a person who wears it and activates the magic to scry on a distant location that they have previously visited. And he ponders this as last hope stretches out before them and they lead their weary train of bound together outlaws towards the buildings, hoping to collect their bounty.